I was working on uh, this sermon, not working on, but I was just kind of going through it last night at a restaurant uh, over in Plymouth. And uh, the table, because it was packed, um, the tables were pretty close, and there was a table of a guy and his wife and I think a friend of theirs, and he apparently had been working on his deck. And he, he, the one guy just noticed that I, what I was doing, and he kind of kept looking over at me and looking over at me. And he, he goes, are you working? I said, yeah, I'm working on my, working on my sermon. It's kind of like going through it. He goes, you're not writing it right now, are you? I said, no, it's, it's done. <laughs> just kind of, kind, of let, kind of let it marinate a little bit. He goes, wow, that's cool. I'm Catholic, and uh, you know, we go to a, a parish over in Plymouth. And he goes, but, you know, tomorrow we're supposed to go to Mass, and I'm going to work on my deck. And so, could you pray that it wouldn't rain? <laughs> and he goes, and then he asked me, he goes, so what, what, are you, what are you preaching on? And I said, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I shared that. He goes, amen. He turns to his wife, he goes, wife. He goes, not wife, he goes, honey, honey, we don't have to go to church tomorrow. He just preached a sermon right here, just preached a couple of verses. He's like, thanks so much. <laughs> so, but I invited him to come sometime. It was a really neat conversation. Sometimes that happens. And a uh, little inside look at the life of a pastor. Sometimes we have those kind of conversations. But, well, I want to jump in this morning uh, in our last sermon in this uh, very uh, rich book of Galatians, talking about enslavement. And many of you uh, wrote in your commun- uh, communication cards of how we can be praying for you on people or things that you're enslaved to, and we've been praying over that. And um, it's kind of sad for me whenever I come to a, the end of a book study because I just I learn so much. I, whenever I preach, I learn alongside you. And uh, we come to the chapter 5, and I'll get there in a second. But I just want to remind us that uh, Christ paid the price for our rebirth. He mentions in, in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, Jesus does that, we're born again. And we talked last week the fact that we're born again into the family of God, that you and I, because of the price that Christ has paid, that you and I can be called sons and daughters of God, and that we're gifted with the Holy Spirit. And uh, when my niece uh, bore her first child, she invited her brother and her mother to stand in the delivery room. I remember this. And after uh, witnessing three hours of pushing, when the baby finally crowned, True story, my nephew turned to his mom and said, I'm sorry for every time I've talked back to you. (laughs) The mother pays the price of birth. Can the mom say an amen? Yeah, yeah. She doesn't enlist the child's assistance, doesn't solicit the baby's advice, of course. Why would she? The baby can't even take a breath without the umbilical uh, cord help, much less navigate a path in a new life. And Jesus is saying the same way. We can't either. When it comes for us to be a Christian, it's not on our efforts. That's been the clear message of Galatians. It's not on our efforts. We're like the infant, but by the work of Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can. We can do life with him. And over and over, we have talked about the, the, the price that Christ paid, like the, mom, the price that the mom pays to give birth to a child, how Christ has paid the price to bring us into the family of God. And I just want to do a little recap. You your teaching notes. You want to write this down. If you missed any of these weeks, uh, uh, please go on our website. You can, you can catch up and listen online. But the first week, we looked at chapter 1, and it was the question, leaving so early. And that was, that was the, the words of Paul when he was saying to the Galatian Christians that you're leaving the faith so early after I planted these churches, and you're leaving the gospel so early. Because as we talked about, 
the uh, Jewish uh, outsiders were um, spreading propaganda and, and actually influencing the Jewish believers to share with the Galatian churches that they had to obey the law of the Old Testament, 613 commandments. And Paul was like, you're leaving it so early. And we, I just planted this, these churches. You're leaving it so early. That was chapter 1. Chapter 2, we call it a temporary case of memory loss. That they had forgotten the gospel of freedom. They had forgotten the gospel of there is no legalism. There's no, you have to do these things in order to earn salvation or earn the love of God. You already have that. In many ways, Galatians is sort of a companion, smaller companion to Romans in a lot of ways. And then uh, week three, chapter three, we ask the question, does God change and answer that? Because it seems like when you read the Bible, it goes from Old Testament law to New Testament. It seems like God changes from this, this God who smites, and then all of a sudden he's a God of grace, and that's just not true. There's plenty of evidence in the Old Testament of his mercy and his grace, and does God change? And we ask, answer the question, no, he doesn't. And then last week we looked at uh, chapter four, the, the term Abba Father where that you and I, because we're brought into the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ and of Him as our Lord and Savior, that we can say, Abba, Father. That we can say, Daddy. A very intimate term. And for the Jewish believers in the Galatian church, that, was, that rocked their world. To actually be able to refer to God as Daddy. A very intimate term. This morning, I want us to look at Galatians chapter 5, and, and what Paul does in Galatians 5, among other things, he compares really two ways of living, two ways of living, that we have a choice, and each of, in, in each of these ways has results. So if you have a Bible, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse 16, go through uh, verse 25, and Paul talks about a number of things in 16 through 25, but I'm going to really... Uh, crystallized into the, the, these two different ways of living. Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 25. Let me pray for us. Father God, I pray that you would illuminate the scriptures, that you would speak to us, you would teach us, you would convict us in the areas that we need, need to be convicted, that you would comfort us in the areas that we need to be comforted. And God, that we'd walk away a changed people, a changed church this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse 16, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, and you can follow along in your Bible app or your teaching notes or the slides behind me. Paul writes this, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature uh, craves. You can just kind of write in your margin if you want to, or uh, in your Bible or wherever you want to. Sinful nature simply means flesh. It's a term we don't use very often, but that's what it really means, the flesh, the sinful nature or flesh wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. The two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out good intentions. So when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under, ob under obligation to the law of Moses. Verse 19, now here Paul makes a list of, we would say, like the fruit of the flesh. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the flesh, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, or we'd say witchcraft, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Obviously, this is not an exhaustive list. He's trying try not to name every single sin. He can't. But here's an example, he said. 
Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit produces different kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. In other words, there's freedom. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So the cross, in, the cross is not simply a historic event. It, it is that, but it's much more than that. And the spiritual realities is that you and I, when we become Christians, and even, even as we're Christians, is that we can always go back to the, our forgiveness of our sins and nailing those sins to the cross. That's a reality. That's the power of the gospel. That our sinful nature... The sins that we commit, we can nail to the cross. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let's love verse 25, how Paul just kind of closes out that section. So let's, let's just dive into that. So the flesh, uh, in the Greek, in your teaching notes, it's this word sarx, and it means sort of the soft part of a, of a body. It's like the, the soft part of, of the flesh, the soft part of a body of an animal or a human and what uh, it means really is the vulnerable part. It's the part that we have in our lives that is vulnerable. When Paul says the flesh, it's the areas of our lives that's soft, that's vulnerable to sin and making bad decisions. And we do that which we don't want to do. And the fruits that Paul talks about that come from, this, uh, from the flesh, we would say rotten fruit, he identifies that, and he identifies them, sexual morality, I'm just going to skip along here, idolatry, witchcraft, quarreling, gossip in some uh, translations that's, uh, when it comes to dissension, envy, drunkenness. And the, the interesting thing about this is that when, when Paul makes this list, it, it, should, it ought to grab our attention, because on the same, in the same sentence, he's equating gossip with witchcraft. Why would he do that? Because for some of us, it's like, no, witchcraft, that's like, you know, ooh. And, and gossip, yet, you know, that's like another kind of sin. And I would say, in my opinion, what Paul's trying to do here is make sure that we understand there is not a hierarchy of sin. Okay? A sin is a sin. And when we give into the flesh, the soft part of our lives... It's a transgression against our holy God, whatever it is. And I think that's why Paul puts out this list. And in verse 21, he says this statement that living that sort of life, that you and I will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what Paul is doing there, and again, in my opinion, a couple things. Number one, he's trying to help the Galatian Christians not to fall into a habitual lifestyle of, of any of those kind of things. Um, he's not saying that if you, if, you, if you commit one of these sins that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's why it's important for us to read the entire canopy of the Bible or to know other passages like Romans 10, 9 that says, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's not you shall be saved unless or uh, you shall be saved, uh, you know, Unless, unless you commit these sins. He's not saying that. And what he's doing right here is don't, he's warning them, don't fall into habitual lifestyle of this. And then secondly, I think in many ways, like a parent does with their kids, is trying to grab their attention. You know, 
many parents, you know, when it comes to vegetables, eat your vegetables or unless what? You won't grow, right? I use that in my kids. Alex and Allie when they're younger, you know, because they wouldn't eat their vegetables, especially Alex. He's not here this morning, so I can say this. He's up north at a wedding. Uh, but I would say eat your vegetables. You're not going to grow, Alex, if you don't eat your greens, if you don't eat your vegetables. He's like three feet tall at that time. Do I really mean that he, if he doesn't eat these vegetables, he's going to stay three feet tall? No, I don't mean that. I want to grab his attention. Paul's doing the same thing, in my opinion, besides the other one I mentioned. Or we say, eat, eat your vegetables, or you're not going to, whatever, fill in the blank. And many of you have done that. By the way, Washington Post did a study on this recently. It's not working. Nine out of ten kids do not eat their vegetables. <laughs> whatever warning you have, it ain't working. So you may have to, like, escalate the warning, you know. So, anyways, but... but uh, Paul talks about the fact that if, 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 you, if you give in to uh, these sort of fruits or you given this kind of uh, lifestyle, is that there's going to be trouble for you. And Paul loves the Galatians, and he loves them so much, just like a parent to a child, he emphatically wants to grab their attention. And then moving from this rotten fruit that we see here as a result of the flesh, I feel like, like a nutritionist right now. Going from vegetables to fruits. But anyways, uh, we go into what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. If you have a Bible, let's turn to that because there's, it's a nice tie-in to what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount in terms of the importance of, of fruit in what is demonstrated in our lives. Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 20. Very important. Yes, we have freedom. Yes, there is grace. But there's also something to be said about what is uh, what, what kind of things we exhibit, what that kind of things we demonstrate in our lives. There ought to be a tangible difference. Not that, again, not that we're falling into legalism and trying to earn salvation, but there should be something uh, demonstrative about the life of a Christian. And Jesus says that in verse 16. You can identify them. He's talking about people that follow me by their fruit. That is the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from Thistles, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit, just like we saw in the section on the flesh. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into a fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Underline that phrase. So you can identify people by their actions. If you have that in your Bible, or perhaps you want to write that down. So you can identify people by their actions. And that's what Paul is trying to get at, is the importance of what is demonstrated in our lives. So moving away from the rotten fruit that he talks about, now he moves into the section called the fruit of the Spirit. Let me make a few notes on this. This list occurs through the work of the Holy Spirit. That if you're new to Christianity, that when you and I um, give our hearts, that we're won over by the love of Jesus Christ, is that something miraculous happens. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and takes up residence. It actually means He indwells in us. Just like Jesus dwelt among His people, where He taught them and comforted them and convicted them. In the same way, the Holy Spirit, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives and dwells in us to teach us, to convict us, to comfort us. And the, the actual word for, for um, dwelling is oikeo. Oikeo means to indwell, kind of like you dwell or indwell your um, apartment. 
or your house, your cabin, your villa, your townhouse, whatever it is, that you are the, you're the, like the homeowner or the, the one who occupies that. That's the same idea in that, in that word, oikeo. It means to indwell. And the Holy Spirit indwells inside of our lives. And the, beauty, the beautiful thing, too, is it's called the fruit of the Spirit because the, the Spirit, is in, while, he, while He's indwelling in us, and as He is bringing about this fruit in our lives, it's not the fruit of Craig Case. It's not the, the fruit of Duane. It's not the fruit of Colin. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. The Spirit does the work. Because when it comes to this list, this is supernatural. It has to be. Because you and I fall down. It, it, you look at this and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, this week I'm, I'm going to do love, and the next week I'm going to do joy. Uh, try that sometime. Because our inclination is the flesh. Our inclination is the previous section. Let's be honest. Our inclination is towards gossip. Our inclination is towards dissension. Our inclination is to give in to lust and those other things. Let's be honest. We don't wake up on a Monday morning and think right away, I'm going to be a joyful person today and put a smile on, on our faces. Some of, some of us have that, that, that spirit, but a lot of people, a lot of us don't. But it, it's, it's a supernatural result. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not humanly done. And it's fruit, not fruits. Sometimes I've made the mistake of calling it fruits, but it's not. It's a singular Greek term, fruit. Fruit of the Spirit and nine different virtues, characteristics, attributes, qualities, whatever you want to call them. And in a way, they're separate, but they're connected. It's like a cluster of grapes. You see that video right there? It's like a cluster of grapes. You know, they're unified together, but each of those grapes is separate, has its separate little characteristic, and yet they're connected together. And that's what Paul's trying to say, is in these nine characteristics that they're unified together. They're one, but they're also separate. It's very important for us to know that. What I like about this is that we've been talking about in this series freedom, the freedom that we have in Christ, that we're no, no, long, no longer under the law, we're no longer under, under legalism, uh, we're no longer under the old way of trying to merit and try to uh, have enough efforts to earn the love of God in our lives and to earn our way into the family of God. Paul's been talking about this, but finally he gives us some concrete words, some concrete uh, pieces of evidence what the life of freedom as a Christian looks like. And it's these nine attributes. I love that. It's like he's building his way up to this crescendo. Galatians has been leaning, leading towards this. He doesn't really identify. He talks about freedom a lot, but there's no like, like, okay, Paul, tell us what it looks like. Well, in chapter 5, he tells us what it looks like. And it's, and it's these qualities, these attributes Let's talk about the first one, love. In your teaching notes, you can follow along and, and, and write these in. Love should be the first. No question. It's not coincidence. It's not by accident that Paul leads off the nine uh, attributes, the nine fruit uh, with love. Love needs to be the first. It ought to be the head of the list. For God is love, John tells us. It's the greatest of the Christian qualities, isn't it? Love. And the love that we receive from God, as we think about that, is unmerited, yet he loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. And that God's love is transforming. God's love is unchangeable. 
And that as a result of the love of God, we ought to show that love to other people. That we ought to show that love um, to the people that perhaps we have a hard time with. Maybe we have differences politically. And I'm going to get political for a second. I'm going to say one thing, vote this week. That's it. Um, But when it comes to politics, when it comes to politics that... If a person has a certain political bent, sometimes we have a hard time loving them. Sometimes we have a hard time respecting them. And yet we're called, we're called to love them. And I think as Christians that we ought to be able and in, in, in actually learn how to love well those that perhaps that are, are against us or people that are the least, the lonely, or the lost. Over and over the Bible talks about loving the stranger. And we're called to do that. Um, who might be the stranger in your area, who might be the stranger in your sphere of influence, how can you reach out to them? It's, it's one of the attributes. It's one of the qualities that Paul mentions. It's agape, love, joy. It's interesting, the early church, um, when they would greet one another, they would greet each other with joy and peace. They would say joy and peace in Christ Jesus. It's not, it wasn't grace and peace, even though we see that in Paul's letters quite a bit. I didn't know that until this past week. It was actually joy and peace. And joy comes second because that was an important uh, greeting. And joy, it seems on, on a surface, as some of us probably have known this, that it seems uh, similar to happiness, but it's not. In, in, and I think our world uh, you know, looks at happiness and joy as the same thing, but happiness is dependent upon circumstances. Uh, joy is not. Joy is something that, that we have in the midst of difficulty. Or it might be something that we demonstrate when we come out of a storm of life. We come out of a season of life that's been really hard on us. And this joy comes out of our lives. But we have those people that in the midst of like harrowing circumstances, health conditions, and they have this, this joy that's infectious. I was talking on the phone with Nancy Martinson. Uh, Nancy and Carl, uh, longtime attendees of this church, and uh, Carl has lymphoma and uh, fell the other day um, in the garage on on the concrete, on his face, has all these cuts, and in addition to all the other stuff that's going on in his life, they had to rush, uh, rush him to urgent care, and um, I was talking to Nancy because I was going to stop by uh, their house yesterday, and she's like, Pastor, you can come, come over, but you know, we're all, he's all bandaged up, and you know, it's been a really tough day, and, and, but she, she's telling me this in this joyous voice. There's not like one hint of difficulty. I'm like, Nancy, how do you do this? You're so full of joy in the midst of like, you know, what's going on in your life, the, the potential of the loss of your husband. And yet she has this joy. And I was like, I, I just remember just after talking to her and we agreed on a different day, I was like, no, I don't need to come over. You know, I'll come over a different day when you guys feel you know, in a better uh, spot. But, but I was like, I need, I need to exhibit joy more in my life. Just simply had a phone call. And we have those people in our lives. It's like, I need that more. Next is peace. Love, joy, peace. Now, peace is, is, as we've talked about quite a bit in this church, is shalom. And what peace really means is right relationship with self. It's right relationship with God. It's right relationship with our neighbor or others around us. And right relationship in the, with the created world. And in the day of Jesus, they actually would try to live a life of shalom. It's right relationship with God, neighbor, self, the created world. And that's what Paul's getting at, the importance of peace. And I think for a lot of us right now, 
we need a peace with ourselves. that we have shame, we have guilt. Back to that restaurant story, as I was talking to the guy and, and talking about um, our church and, and invited him to our church, and, I, and, and he just said, you know, the, the thing I'm, I'm, I battle with is, is guilt. And that's exactly what, what peace uh, seeks to eradicate, is to take away guilt, is to understand that we've been forgiven. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, uh, this morning. And as we come to the table, we come to a table of peace that we've been made right with God. After peace on the list is patience. How many of you have a hard time with patience? All right. Fifteen of you. <laughs> and be up in the, there we go. Eighteen now. I feel like I'm at auction. Twenty? Twenty-two? Uh, but the thing about patience, okay, twenty-three. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Dave. Um, but patience, it, it, it's that quality that only comes out when you're pressed in, right? It only happens when you're pressed in or someone's trying your temper, uh, you know, or, or, or you can, you know, you're having a hard time. And it's, it's not like you do it when it's convenient and comfortable, right? Like, okay, I'm going to be patient today and it's, everything's going, really going well with your life. It's when things aren't, aren't going well, when you're having a hard time, maybe for your students, is having patience with one of your teachers, right? Yeah. I get against the head nods, yes. Oh, you said amen. Okay, all right. But yeah, pa- patience is when we're pressed in. And really, when we're pressed in, what comes out? It's like, you know, tea. You put a tea bag in hot water. What flavor comes out? And patience is one of those, one of those attributes. You get it, it's when you're in hot water. And more and more, I find myself looking at this and saying, I need to be a more patient person and what's beautiful about this, by the way, just an aside, eight of these nine virtues or fruit are attributes that we share with God. They're called communicable attributes. Communicable, say that ten times fast. It's a theological word. It means ones that we share with God. Because there are attributes or characteristics we do not share with God, but these, these eight we do. Uh, nine, self-control. God doesn't need self-control. We do. But the other eight, he shares with us. And we see God, for example, being patient. Joel chapter 2, verse 13, Joel says this, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. Whenever you see that in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it simply means he's being patient. He's being patient. Next is kindness. And, and kindness is that divine kindness that God has shown towards humankind, where it's God that is good. And that we show kindness to other people by our actions, by how we behave towards them, just like how God has, has, has acted towards us. So kindness ha- can happen in a variety of ways, and I think it's, it's uh, very common sense what that word means. Goodness. Goodness is a little different, and it's a little hard to define in, in, in the Greek. It really means sort of a, a kindness, but also it has this idea of generosity, that, that goodness has a generous component to the actual etymology of that word. Okay, It's not simply following the rules. It actually means being good. It means actually to be generous with a sort of kindness sprinkled in. Now we get into uh, the last three, faithfulness. Obviously, faithfulness is something that's important for us, is to be faithful to the gospel, to be faithful in our uh, walk 
uh, to have perseverance, even in times where it seems like we're going through such a hard time that God's goodness and or His greatness is not there, but we're remaining faithful to Him. That, that no matter what happens, I am going to stand and be obedient and be faithful to Him. It might be for you being faithful in your, in your financial giving and your tithing. That even though your finances are getting tight, the one thing that you're not going to give up on is a faithful tithe. That's what it might mean for you. Faithfulness. Or faithfulness in terms of sharing your faith with other people. Finding ways to talk to people. And, and sharing the gospel, sharing about Christianity. I was able to do that last night at that restaurant. It was just a great time. Uh, next one, gentleness. Now, gentleness, in many ways, I think it's de- 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 uh, defined sort of a, as, as being soft or being like meek. But it's very much where uh, that you, in times where you could be angry or you could really let somebody have it, as you pull back. And you give a gentle word. That you give a gentle greeting. Or maybe you just respond in a gentle way. A few weeks ago, I was parked in Minneapolis and there was a two-hour parking. And it was in a neighborhood in Minneapolis, uh, North Minneapolis. And, and I had two hours to have this appointment. And I came out after the appointment and it was with a student named Mitch. And Mitch and I had a really good time together. And I'm coming out and I see my car on a tow truck. It's on a tow truck, and the tow truck driver is making his way to the door. He's like four or five steps from the door, and Mitch and I sprint, you know. And it was like one of those things where, did I look to see if there's traffic going by me at all? <laughs> it's like, it didn't matter. I want to get to my car because he's about to take it away. And I come over there, I'm like, what are you doing? That's my car. It's two hour parking. And then he goes, well, no, they, there's no parking today because they're laying down a utility line over here. I said, that sign was not there. That sign was not there when I parked. And then some neighbors who, who live in that area, as they're walking by, are uh, uh, yelling profanities at this uh, tow truck driver and calling them names and how he tows their cars unfairly. And all of a sudden, it, it gets this, this tension. And I'm like, this, this guy, as a tow truck driver, he has a tough job. I mean... How many people like tow truck drivers? Let's be honest. They have a hard job. And I just said, can you just please put my car back down? I had to pay five bucks for some reason. Bring that car back down. It's like, all I had to do was hop in the car and put it in reverse, but I had to pay five bucks for that. Um, anyways, I brought my car down, and, and the neighbors started to crowd around, and they're yelling at him, and he's like, you know, the neighbors actually take those signs, and they throw them down, they throw them away all the time, and that's why these things kind of happen. And then, then finally he said, he, talk, he said to the neighbors, just leave me alone right now. And he was upset. He was angry. And I, I thanked him. I said, you know, thank you so much for doing this. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then he's kind of finishing what he's doing. And I got in my car. I just had the sense that he needs a gentle word. So I came alongside him. I just, you know, I don't know this guy. And I wish I, wish I did this every time. And I just said, sir, thank you so much for, for showing compassion to me and allowing me to take my car away. And I really appreciate you. And I know you have a hard job. You have a tough job. And I appreciate you. And he just, like, stopped. He didn't know what to say. And then I said, can I have my $5 back? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. But 
uh, word of gentleness, self-control. It's something that the Holy Spirit helps us because we need that. We need that self-control. We need uh, that power, that supernatural power to say no to those things that Paul outlines as the fruit of the, of the flesh. We need that self-control. We can't do it ourselves. It's supernatural. And when you're in those times, in those times of temptation, it's simply to turn and maybe say to the Holy Spirit, help me right now with self-control in whatever that area is. And we close with this. Verse 25, Paul says, when it comes to this life, this life of freedom, keep in step with the Spirit. And what he's, what he's really saying, quite literally, this is number three, walk in line with the Spirit. Walk in line. It's this idea if I were to have like one of my friends and we're walking together, it'd be the, the friend would be on, on one side and we'd be walking in a line together as we're, wherever we're going. It's not behind or it's not in front, but it's right next to that person. And that's the, the word picture that we see here is walking in line with the Spirit as the Spirit seeks to bring out the fruit in our lives. The Christian life isn't merely difficult, it's impossible. Impossible it is as we try to live for God on our own strength. Resistful sinful urges, overcoming natural inclinations towards pride and selfishness, serving others with joy or love. Come on. We never can do those things without the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the Spirit of God. And as we do, as we surrender to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit moves through our lives like a strong wind or a mighty river. He longs to move powerfully through us where he reveals, convicts, comforts, counsels, guides, transforms, and empowers us to the glory of God. Let me pray. Spirit of God, be unleashed in our hearts. Do the work only you can do to produce the fruit that you desire within us. As we sang, fall fresh on us. Fill us, mold us, and use us for your purposes. Produce the character of Jesus in our lives. In doing so, we are no longer slaves. We are no longer slaves to this world. We are no longer slaves to people or things that you have made us free. And that Christ came to take the shackles and the handcuffs off us so that we might be free and that we might be the sons and daughters of God. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.